Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for Jesus Christ, uh, your only son. Uh, How deep, how wide, how incredible is your love for us. A beautiful truth we sang this morning, Lord, and we just pray with all our hearts that you would uh, deeply massage it into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, Midland Free. I see that you survived the polar vortex. Yay. All right. It's an interesting experience. My name's Jeremy, by the way. If you're new here, welcome here. I'm preaching pastor and delighted that you're here to worship with us. The snowstorm was an interesting experience as we um, came to the expectation of it and sort of looking at our events here around the church and what was scheduled and what would need to be adjusted. And um, I'm... Not a total weather buff, but I'm certainly more of a weather person than my wife. And I'm looking at the forecast, and I'm I'm just all doom and gloom. You know, I'm telling her, oh, man, this next week's going to be terrible. You know, it's going to be so cold. We're going to be miserable, blah, 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 blah. But I want to get in my mind the reality of what will come and sort of adjust my behavior for it. So I've got a plan, so it's Sunday night, and I know that somewhere around 4 or 5 a.m. it's going to start snowing, and that means if I try to take off in my car the next morning, it's not going to work so great. So I've got a plan to get up early, got to shovel my driveway, I've got to get things all as best I can ready to go for the day. So I've got my shovels out, and I've got you know my equipment checked out, and my fleece line jeans are hanging right there by the door, and boy, I'm ready to go. And of course, I'm also prepping my wife a little bit because this might change her Monday too. All of a sudden, instead of having one little kid, she might have three little kids and nowhere to go. And that, as you know, makes a big difference. So we're adjusting. We're looking at this future prediction, these promises the weather people are making. And of course, the weather people aren't perfect. And yet we can sit there and look at the radar and watch this big blue blob move from Minnesota to Wisconsin to the lake and just pick up steam and head straight at us. And so there's a pretty good chance that this thing is going to come true. I'm sitting there looking at the forecast as 80%. 90%, 100%, 100%, 100%, 100%, 100%. I'm like, yeah, it's coming. And as you know, as it turns out, it wasn't just one day or two days. It was three days, four days, five days, a whole week having all the kids home from school. That was exciting. The U.S. Postal Service shut down. It was super cold. Some parts of the Midwest had record lows. And there we were enduring the storm. We as a family tried to prepare a little bit, and so on Sunday night, instead of going to our normal grocery run on Monday mornings, my wife goes out on Sunday night, and of course, everybody else is out on Sunday night. The grocery store is just jam-packed, people piling up, stocking up for the great snow. All the snow shovels are gone, and we also had to fill our home not only with snow shovels and food, but a lot of books as well, because we knew that we would be inside quite a bit. You see, what happens is this. I'm telling you a story which you experienced in one way or another, I'm sure. But the point of all that chatter is to say this, is look, when you have a something, a future, expect, a future expectation changes your current behavior. A future expectation changes your current behavior. When, you, when there's a prediction or a promise or something that you're pretty sure is going to happen... You're going to adjust. 
You're going to do differently today what you do based on what you know is coming tomorrow. A future expectation, either for good or for ill, will change your behavior. It's going to change your feelings. It's going to change your attitude. It's going to change your fears. It's going to change your actions. It's going to change your interactions with other people. True? True. What you expect influences how you behave. You could be disappointed or you could be surprised, but whatever it is, what you expect in the future changes how you do things right now. We can see that with winter storms or other stuff in life. But my question is, is can we see that with real life? Can we see how the future that God has planned for us should impact everything that we're doing right now? The Bible tells us specifically that we are to live by grace through faith. And we hear that churchy term and we're kind of like, okay, by grace through faith. Well, that just sounds fluffy. Like, I don't know what that means. And, and if you come away with, from today's sermon with nothing else, what I want you to understand this is faith is essentially this. Faith is living in such a way that you demonstrate that you believe in a promise. Faith is living in such a way that you demonstrate that you believe in a promise. I believe this, therefore I will. So-and-so said this, therefore I'm going to. The weatherman predicted that this big storm is going to come, therefore I'm going to fill up my pantry, I'm going to prepare my garage, I'm going to get ready for tomorrow morning. We are prepared for tomorrow based on what we believe the prediction will come true. Faith is living. It's not just thinking, it's not just feeling, but faith is living in such a way that you believe the promise will come true. So my challenge for you today this is this, basically the thought I want to get across this morning, is that therefore we should believe the promises and live to prove it. I think that's what Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is actually trying to say this morning, is that our job as Christians is to believe the promises and live in such a way that we prove it. Like we really believe that God will come through. As a result, our lives look different. So let me show you what those promises are this morning. I'm going to give you three of them from the book of Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. But before we get there, I want to show you this, because what happens is, as you read this text, you know, Paul is um, pretty eloquent in his speech, and he's going to heap phrase upon phrase, and he's going to build this thing up. But essentially, what I want you to see is the structure, because the structure really reveals the heart of it, and the heart of it is actually pretty simple. There's a lot of detail given about what was, the way things were, and the way things will be in the future, what lies ahead. But in the middle is really the key point, the driving force, the thing that lies behind it all. And it is this. Here's a slide of that section of scripture. Now, I know this, the font at the top is really, really small. The font at the bottom is also small. I don't expect you to read that. But I want you to see those two big words that are right in the middle. What are they? 
But God, if, exactly right. Let me hear you say that one more time, just for sent fun. But God, exactly right. You know what? I'm going to get myself in trouble probably in the next service with my wife. What's going to happen is this, is um, my boys um, are at that age where they're starting to understand humor. I'm kind of at that age too, you know, I'm just figuring it out. So I experiment on you all. Thank you for listening. But the, one of the tricks about young boys in humor is what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And when is it appropriate and when is it not appropriate? And how many times is it funny and at what point is it no longer funny, etc., etc. Well, let me just say this. Ready? One of my very favorite things about scripture is all the giant butts. I just love the great big butts in scripture. I really do. I know what's going to happen next service. My boys are going to be going. And we're going to hear about 15 times at the dinner table. My wife's just going to go, oh man. But it's so important. I want to be so silly or so ridiculous or so cheesy or whatever that you remember it. This is the really the big piece. In fact, I've got verses that I left in my note file. I'm not bringing up right now. But you can go all through scripture and see these terrible, terrible situations. Whether it's Noah or Joseph or David or Jesus or Paul or whoever or us and there's this really really bad spot and all of a sudden there's these giant two words that change everything and they are but God exactly right but God but God and what happens then in this text Ephesians 1 through 10 is essentially that the first four or five verses are like terrible they're as bad as it gets Paul is using the most stark and dark language he can come up with Um, go ahead let's keep that slide up there just a little bit longer he's talking about the wrath of god and how we were dead and yuck and horrible and all of a sudden god boom and then the next few verses show just a switch from darkness to light how devastating and then all of a sudden how beautiful and what a change it is and so What's essentially happening is this, is God is the centerpiece. God is the focal point. God is the driver of this whole process. You know, creation is not about us. Salvation, creation, redemption, fall, restoration, the whole thing. It's not about us. It's about God. It centers upon him and his will. It is his project. It is his task. And it is his purpose. That's why in verse 7, what will happen is... Um, Paul will explain the reason he's doing this is so that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. At the end of the day, God's going to get done with this whole thing and go, look, guys, wasn't that awesome? And everybody's going to go, yeah, you're right. That was so amazing. I can't believe you did that. It's like you're a little kid making a basketball shot. He thinks he's amazing, dude, perfect, whatever. You know, it's like, dad, watch this. You know, at the end of the day, what we're going to do is our heavenly father is going to say, hey, guys, wasn't that cool? Look at the immeasurable riches of my grace. And we'll say, you are not kidding. Things were terrible. But God, wow, aren't you great? That's the point. That's what's driving scripture. That should be what's driving us as a church and as individuals. So then what happens is this. Let me Now I've set that up. I'm going to read all the verses. but I, And then at the end I'm going to show you your promises. But I, I wanted you to see the middle part. 
the, the driver behind this. You know, it's not me giving you a promise. It's not me making this up. This is the eternal, almighty, infinite will of God. That's why you can count on these promises. Not because it's some construed, strange construct of man, but this is the infinite plan of eternal and almighty God. But God. So, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when, even though we were dead in our trespasses and sin, he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved, And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, here's that purpose. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is how he did it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one but the one who did it can boast. For we, listen to this, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which those good works God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so our promises or our predictions or what we believe about the future changes how we behave today. What then are our promises? What are our promises? Well, there are three of them, and they actually um, listed them in the text. I'll show them to you again just so we're clear. The first one is, well, let me show you all three together. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. These are our promises. There's three of them. If you're not taking notes, it's no big deal. You can just download the PDF file from our website and put these in your Bible study folder. But here are the three promises. God made us alive and raised us up. It's number one. Number two, he prepared works for us in advance. And number three, he glorified us. He glorified us. So he made us alive and raised us up. He prepared works for us in advance. And number three, he glorified us. He glorified us. I'm pretty sure you have questions about many of those, but let me start with the first one, which is this. He made us alive and raised us up. Verse one says this, that you were dead, dead, uh, here's the slide, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So you are dead. Notice this verse says dead. We don't need resuscitation, we need resurrection. Okay, Resuscitation is not enough. You spiritually are dead. It is not enough to think, oh, I can work a little harder, do a little bit more, and if I get it right, then maybe God will accept me. No, no, no. You're dead. You're done. There's no chance. But God, verse 4, 
But God, even though we were dead, even while we were dead in our trespasses, he did something really crazy. He made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him. See, Jesus died on the cross. He really died. He actually died. He didn't go to sleep. He didn't go into a coma. He wasn't passed out for a little bit. He actually died. And then after he died, they put him in a tomb. And just to prove it, he was there for three days. And as a result, that way, before the decay set in, he could come forth in power and demonstrate what is actually going to happen to us. Despite the fact that we are broken, despite the fact that we are messed up, if you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside you, we talked about that power last week. We said, man, look at this power. And we shot the Nerf gun and we looked at all the bullets and da-da-da-da-da and all these Greek words. And we said, look at this overwhelming, amazing, super-duper mega power. That is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And that power is in you. And just like he left, did not leave Jesus in the grave, neither will he leave you in the grave. That resurrection power is at work in you. It is changing you spiritually, and eventually it will change you physically. And so what happens then is we who are dead in our trespasses and sins spiritually were made alive. And what that means is this. You can, hear me, hear me correctly, you can, you absolutely can stop sinning. Whatever that thing in your life is that you're like, yeah, I don't know. I just struggled with that my whole life. I'm not sure that I'm ever going to get over it. That's just me. No, no, no. No, no, no. That was sin. That was death. That was trespasses. And if you were stuck in that, it's true that before the Holy Spirit, there's no way you in and of yourself could get over it because you were dead. Absolutely. But now, by the super-duper mega power of the Holy Spirit, infinite, unlimited, almighty God, you can stop sinning. You can stop doing anything. You can start doing something. That thing no longer has sway or hold over you because of the infinite power of almighty God. You've been made alive. You've been resurrected. You've been raised up. You don't have to wallow in sin and shame and sit there in that spot because God has elevated you out of it. You are crucified with Christ, risen with him for the purpose of walking in the newness of life. You don't have to lay down and play dead. That life is done. You've been resurrected. You do not have to keep doing that thing over and over again. Number one, the first promise is this. You've been made alive. Do you live like you believe that? Or have you given in to defeat? The promise that you have, that we know is true, is that you have been made alive. In which way are you living? Do you believe that promise? Are you living by faith? Are you living in such a way that proves you believe that? Do you believe you can stop? You've been made alive. You've been raised up. You don't have to. You don't have to keep doing that. You can stop. Not because you are strong enough, but because the Spirit of God is. Number one, you've been made alive. Number two, this one's really amazing. Yeah, they they just get more amazing as we go, really. There are works prepared for us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Many of us Christians will go, okay, yeah, I believe that. But look at this. The good works he's talking about 
God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has called you to something very specific. In other words, this afternoon, God has something for you. Tomorrow morning, God has something for you. This week, this month, this year, this life, God has something for you. We started in Ephesians chapter 1 and we said, okay, look, in him, before the foundations of the world, he chose us. And a lot of us who got that for the first time are like, whoa, he chose me. I can't believe that. It's so amazing. How could he do that? Well, the infinite, eternal, almighty plan of God, he knew before he created the world, you. And he chose you. He specifically called you or plucked you out to be a part of the body of Christ. He did that on purpose. And you get overwhelmed by that. Wow, why would God chose me? I don't know. Why would God have chose any of us? I don't know. But he did. But it doesn't stop there. That's chapter 1, where he's talking about the plan of salvation and how that impacts and changes. Now, chapter 2 says, it's not just salvation. In other words, uh, justification. It's not just the start of your salvation, but it's the completion of your salvation too. God chose you and he chose the works that you would do. Whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or a stay-at-home person or whatever you are, God chose those things in advance for you. In other words, if you're an engineer, say you've got a big project or a task and you're like, wow, They don't make a tool to fix that. I'm going to design this tool specifically for that task. In a sense, that's what God did. He designed the task. And then having that task went and designed the tool. He made you just for that. He prepared the works beforehand in advance for you to do. On these snowy Saturdays when there's no soccer and there's no anything and this like this and that, sometimes when my kids were little, we'd go to one of these um, home fix-it stores and they want to bring you in and they want to sell you stuff and so they invite the kids and the parents and they put out these little projects. And these projects are like birdhouses or toolboxes or whatever. And basically everything's figured out. They're cut, they're measured. All you have to do is grab those little tiny nails And hold them for your kid (laughs) as they whack away. And if you have your steel gloves and you're brave enough to try, then you can put the thing together because it's pre-measured, pre-cut, and everything else. In other words, it's designed for that one simple tool, the hammer. That's all you're going to need. And afterwards, they paint it like this, and you take it home. You buy a bunch of stuff when you go out the door and make the store happy, and everybody's good. That's what you do because this project was designed specifically for the tool. So it is with you and me. Look, God has a task. He has a calling, a specific purpose for your life. And he designed you to fit that. Now, we're not all a hammer. Some of us are screwdrivers, files, chisels, whatever. And that's why there's a body of Christ, because there's a lot of different people. And we can't complete the project unless everybody pitches in. You know, you're a much better fix-it person if you have a lot of tools. If you only got a hammer, it's not enough. But what God is saying in this passage is that the thing in your life, whatever it is, God prepared it. Look, this week, God prepared those snow days for you parents to stay at home and demonstrate to your children patience. (laughs) God prepared these works for you in advance. 
He knew that storm was coming. We can't flip on and off the switch. He sent the snow. He sends the rain. He sends it physically and he sends it spiritually too. We have to realize, yeah, we can't control the snow. There's nothing I can do about that. There's so many other things like that too. God allows those things to come into our life. Why? Because he prepared them in advance for us, for our sanctification. So how should I feel about that thing that's in my life? I I don't really know. When I'm looking at the forecast, I'm saying, oh, man, this is yuck. I don't really like this. I'm not so sure. I don't really want to. It's coming. There's nothing I can do about it. I got to believe the promise. I got to know that God made this thing in advance for me to deal with. And I may not feel like the right tool for the job. Let me tell you, many times I don't. But that's not up to me to decide. Right, Frodo? That is not my decision. But here I am now, where God put me, right in front of whatever it is that's before me, for such a time as this. Here's the Esther passage. You know, I don't know why we're here. I don't know why we're given what we're given. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Do I want to be the ring bearer? Do I want to carry this weight? Do I want to? Not really. But here I am. So it's not up for me to decide. It's only up for me to determine what I'm going to do with the time that's been given me. God prepared not only you, but the task in front of you as well. And so what do you do, man? If you're that hammer, you strike. You hit the nail. You may not know how to screw. You may not know how to clip. You know, may not know how to measure. That doesn't matter. If you're the hammer, hit. That's all you got to do. Your job is to strike. And when you do so faithfully, believing that God prepared the project ahead of time, it comes together and it works. Because God has prepared the works for you in advance. Are you living by grace through faith? Do you believe in God's promise that he says right here in Ephesians chapter 2 that he prepared the work ahead of you for you? Well, that child, I would never. Yeah, he gave your child to you. But that situation, I could, he gave that to you. That's there for you. And you may not feel like the right tool for the job, but that was not your decision. God decided that. Your only choice is to follow through. God prepared the works beforehand, before you even came. He set them up there for you to do. Promise number two. So two promises thus far. Number one, he made us alive and raised us up. You don't have to keep sinning. Number two, he prepared the works for us in advance. Look, he did. That was his choice. Number three, we have been glorified. (laughs) What? I thought, Pastor Jeremy, didn't you just say like a couple weeks ago, we're not there yet? Yeah, I did. So what do you tell me now? Are you contradicting yourself? A little bit, I guess so. Um, This one was strange for me. I was really stumbling over this. I did not understand as I came across this, and I didn't have any other way to say it. I could say he seated us, but none of us would know what that meant. But let's look at verse 4, and then following, I'll show it to you up on the slide, because I kind of edited it just to make it quicker. It says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together. Okay, we got that. He raised us up. Yep, got that. And... He seated us with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. Wait a minute. You guys feel like you're seated in a heavenly place right now? 
I mean, you know, our chairs are soft and we pick them up every Sunday and it's not so bad, but really? Are we reigning with Christ on high right now? Are we sitting right next to Jesus in his throne? But this verse says he, and it's in the past tense that he seated us with Christ Jesus. What in the world does that mean? Well, I think I can help a little bit. In some ways, it's like an election. If you lose the election, you are unseated, right? But if you win, if you are elected, if you are among the elect, then you've been seated. Now, there might be an inauguration or initiation, and you come to you know, your seat eventually, in a lot of ways, I think this is what this is. You know, we've been elected, we've been chosen, we've been selected. God has purposely got us. He's already raised Jesus up. Jesus is reigning at the right hand of Father. He said, now you are chosen, you're elected, you are saved, you're forgiven. You're not physically there yet, but because you are united to Christ via the bond of the Holy Spirit that is alive in you. Remember that bond thing, you know, the atoms breaking down, being heated up by the plasma, and all of a sudden connecting with Christ. Because of your bond, you are in some sense spiritually united to Christ, and therefore, just like Jesus is on high, you are there. What? I've never thought of myself as glorified. I can think of a million sins that I still need to work on. I am not there. And yet God, who is infinite and almighty, sees me as complete and finished. How can he do that? Because I'm in Christ. If I'm in Christ and Christ's umbrella is over me, then what he sees is Jesus. Despite the fact that there are a number of rough edges that he's still got to rub off, The job is done. Project is complete. Nothing is going to stop his purpose. And if his purpose is to save me, and if his purpose is to prepare these works for me to do, and if his purpose is to eventually get me to the spot where I am seated next to Christ, having completed all that, then that's going to happen. And God looks at me then and says, done deal. Complete. Glorified. I say, wow. How did you do that? I don't know. I don't know. But God has already glorified us. In some sense, we are complete. We are complete in Christ. Even though there's more to go, it is finished. When Jesus on the cross says, it is finished, he means it. He really means it. Like when he died, everything was complete. He rose from the grave to prove it. But when he died, it's finished. It's finished. Done. Kaput. So then, three things. Promises. Number one, we've been made alive. Number two, we have works prepared for us. And number three, we have been glorified. So what then does that look like in in our lives? What should it look like? Well, let me give you an example that Hebrews chapter 11 lists out for us. Because... I definitely don't want to use myself as an example, but here's some really good ones of faith, of believing the promise and living to prove it. And here's just a few of them. You can read Hebrews 11 later, but here's a few of them. What does that look like? Well, for example, uh, Noah, 
He believed God, and, and all these people believed God, and it was credited to them as righteousness. God essentially gave them a promise. To each one of these persons, God gave them a promise. Now, if they didn't believe the promise, they wouldn't have done anything about it. But because Noah believed that God would send a flood, and Noah believed that this silly boat would actually save him, then Noah built the ark. He believed the promise, and therefore he did this. So too with Joseph. You know, Joseph gets these dreams and these visions of what God is going to do. And as a result, Joseph believes God. And when he is sold into slavery, when most of us say, God has abandoned me, I'm done. He is faithful. And when he goes to prison, he is still faithful. And then even when he's in power, he doesn't forget that it is God who raised him up and made him alive. Not he and his great leadership skills or anything else, but God. Joseph believed the promise that God gave him. David, many of us see this king of Israel and we're like, wow, we want to be him. If you read, you know, through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, the majority of his life was spent running for his life. He did not have an easy road to success. His was difficult. And he had many opportunities to get rid of his enemies, but instead he chose to spare Saul's life, even though Saul was hunting his. Why? Because he believed the promises of God. He believed that God said, I'm going to establish your throne and your descendants forever. You don't have to worry about it. Don't take advantage of any situation. Let me handle it. And he did. He trusted God with his very life over and over and over again. Jesus, what about him? Not by will, but yours. Even he struggled with this reality of here, are, here is a work prepared in advance for me to do. Over and over again, he says, you know, hey, this is what's going to happen, disciples. They're going to kill me. I'm going to raise. And then he's in the garden praying. He's like, Lord, I'm not so sure about this work. This is a big one. This is a tough one. I'd really rather not. But not my will, but yours. And he submits to the perfect will of God. This is faith. Faith is saying, I have a promise. Here's something I can guarantee. Here's something I can count on because it's from God. That's chapter one. This is your incredible, infinite, unstoppable promise. And you get that big promise and then you say, okay, now how is that going to impact me? How will I live differently? Because what God said is true. So let me give you some examples. I'm just going to run through some and guess. I'm taking a guess. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to use this to hit you individually wherever you're at. Here's some specific examples. You know, can we believe that I'm going to go general and then specific. If God gives wisdom to people who ask, how many times this week have you asked him for wisdom? Have you asked him, do you believe he will give you wisdom? He says he'll give generously wisdom to whoever asks. Do you believe that God will give you wisdom? If so, you're asking for it because he said he would. What about this? When God um, provides the principle or concept that he rewards the generous. Do you live generously? Do you give sacrificially? Do you give in a disciplined way to say, yeah, I believe that even though I have to sacrifice right now, and God may not reward me in this life, that in heaven, whatever I gave up on earth will be rewarded tenfold. And so I'm excited to quadruple, quintuple, whatever my return by giving to God. This is a good thing, and I can give generously and joyfully, knowing that anything I give up will be rewarded so much more. Do you believe that God blesses his word? You know, he says, my word will not return to me void. Therefore, are you in scripture? Do you believe that when you go to that book, you will get a blessing? God has promised that. 
Do you believe that and apply it to your life? So I was like, eh, boring, not going to bother. You don't believe then. You're not living by faith. If you believe, you'll go after the promise. How about this? Here's more specific. The God will be with you even to the ends of the earth. Therefore, if you are single, you do not have to compromise anything that you believe in order to find a mate. Do you trust God for your singleness? He's with you. Yeah, but I'm lonely. Jesus is with you. Do you believe that? Are you acting on that promise? You don't have to compromise a single thing. Will you wait for the right spouse, even if it's way longer than you ever wanted? Will you wait? Will you have a good attitude at work despite all the people around you? How about raising your children or hanging in there on your marriage? We have a really specific way in which you can do that. Coming up here in a little bit, Jeff Kohlinger is going to give us an announcement on an event we're having here at church specifically designed to help you hang in there and not just hang in there, but thrive. Will you hang in there? God says, be faithful. He is faithful. God says, don't give up. Be generous. Be forgiving. Sacrificial. Same is true in your marriage. Hang in there. Do you believe in God's goodness despite the illness? Illness is not good. Do you believe that God is still good? He assures you that he is. Will you wait without wavering? Will you bless him through the storm? Will you bless him through the storm? He assures us that all things work together for good for those who love him. Do you actually believe that? Do you believe that? That's hard. I can tell you this week when this snowstorm was coming, I was looking at that forecast and I said, all right, here it comes. And my wife was saying to me, I mean, this is like on Sunday night. She's saying, yeah, but next weekend it's going to be like 40 degrees. It's like a 70 degree swing. I'm like, ah, whatever. Weather forecasters, couple days out, maybe okay. But seven days out, I'm not going for it. No way. All I'm thinking right now is cold and misery and storm. This is all I got. Bring in the wood, Eeyore. Bring out the shovels. It's going to be terrible. We'll probably all freeze. No. That's all I've got. I am not looking to next week. I'm stuck here. And I'm watching it, and sure enough, the predictions come true. I mean, it's cold. It was really cold, and we had lots of snow, and Eeyore was right. But then as the week went on, that 40-degree thing, it just stayed there, didn't it? I was like, eh, I'm not so sure. She's like, it's going to be 40 degrees this weekend. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Today? What? Right now, someone's looking at their watch. That's cool. My watch does not do that. 41 degrees right now. Are you serious? What happened? The prediction came true. And back here when I was wallowing in my own misery, that'll never happen, blah, 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 blah. God was working all things together for good. Melting the snow and doing away with the storm. I admit my faith was weak. When the storm came, I was not there yet. But as the week went on and we continued to go, I think my faith started to grow a little bit. Things started to drip. 
All of a sudden, I could start to see patches of my driveway again. I'm like, wow, you know what? This winter may eventually actually go away. It could happen. And we'll be seeing green grass. Birds will be singing. Flowers blooming. Everything will be fine. Then we'll be mowing our lawns and sneezing and catching colds. (laughs) But that's the thing, folks. Look, when we look at this eternal plan of God, I think we get stuck sometimes in the storm, don't we? We see what's ahead of us, and we're not sure if God planned that or not. And yet, in his word, he says, I planned these works beforehand. Like, I'll never get through it. No, no, I raised you up. I made you alive. You can walk right through it. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, don't stop in the valley of shadow of death. Don't lay down and die in the valley of shadow of death. Keep walking. Keep going. Because even though it's dark and you can't see your way out, the reality is this. There are three concrete promises from the eternal, almighty, infinite God that say, yes, you will make it through on the other side. Because of this infinite plan that he has, his perfect calling, that he's prepared the works and you for such a time as this. So don't quit. Keep going. Live By grace through faith. It's his grace that gets us through. But God. If it weren't for his grace, no chance. But God. Grace. But God. What is faith? Well, faith is believing the promise and then living to prove it. So God says, he prepared that for you in advance. What are you going to do, man? You strike. You hit that nail. You go. With confidence. Crazy confidence. You move forward in faith. God says that he will deliver you, that he will protect you, that in the end he will raise you up just like he raised Jesus. So you can go all the way to the nth degree, to the extreme of giving your very life for Christ. And you know, he'll raise me up. Nothing lost. Everything gained. Nothing lost. By grace through faith. Church, do you believe this? They're God's promises, not mine. I'm not saying this to you. God is. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Believe the promises and live to prove it. Father, we thank you for your perfect and infinite plan. Lord, you do all things well, and I'm so thankful that uh, it wasn't me. (laughs) Many times I think, ooh, I got an idea, or I should fix this, or I know what to do. In reality, in hindsight, I'm so glad that it's you. You know exactly what to do, and you're doing all things well. You've got everything figured out. Lord God, help me to trust in that. In Jesus' name, amen.